Nights in Jerome Machaca. My wife, Vanessa, is here with me. Hello. And we're continuing in what we're talking about as far as our life as missionaries. Uh, this, this podcast specifically is about raising kids abroad. And uh, one of the, the way I kind of frame it is with the question, are missionary kids part of a third culture? So one of the things that we did last week was we asked you to ask us on Instagram if you had some questions specifically in this area. So we want to actually start off with those questions. We, we actually had two that we thought were really good. And um, the second question has kind of like two questions in one. <laughs> but um, the first one is from Deanna out of Texas. And she says, how important is it to teach kids to embrace the culture of that environment? I would say as a parent, it was really important for us, myself and for Gabriel, to help our son understand and be familiar with the culture by celebrating some of those traditions or holidays that, you know, number one, that we approved of, and number two, that our son was old enough to even really understand. Yeah, and that's and that's basically with the assumption that both parents are saying, hey, let's embrace where we are. Yeah, because not every tradition or you know, cultural holiday is going to be, I guess, relevant to your family or even helpful to your family. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why you kind of have to pick and choose because some, some culture, some countries have a lot of traditions, which is great. But at the same time, I think um, even for me as an adult, when asking questions about this, uh, the holiday, why they make it such a big deal or why it's something they feel the need to celebrate in such a big way, it really helped me to understand um the kind of family views they had or just as a country, how they view their country. And that was helpful for me. Yeah. Holidays, I think, bring out more of an understanding of, of the country itself, like uh, why they celebrate certain things. Um, you get a kind of a, a deeper understanding of the culture of the country. Uh, I would say this, though, that um, there are there are certain things that and this can go really deep because the, the question is, is is a little bit uh, to embrace the culture of that environment. Now, I would say this. Uh, there are some places, I, I think there are a lot of places, even in the States, that there are some things maybe that are celebrated that we don't want to celebrate, that we, we look at as like, you know, we don't, we don't actually um, get behind that. We don't, we don't believe in that. And so um, it is important in the sense of understanding the context uh, However, I think the more important thing is allowing, number one, scripture to dictate what you should and shouldn't celebrate. Now, I, I celebrate Christmas, but I know that there are some Christians, you know, Christians and, and people part of churches that don't celebrate Christmas as a holiday because they feel it has pagan roots. Uh, so and obviously there are other holidays that some Christians choose not to celebrate. Because there's another area that where you allow the scripture and then you also, some feel that just the Holy Spirit doesn't want them doing it. And I think for me, that's where the biggest uh, challenge is as a family, is just really allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in those things. I think for us, when, when there was a holiday, we did our best to understand what it was. I think uh, even in Estonia, Yanipav was um, initially, like, so the way it's explained to me, or it was explained to us is there's a big bonfire and people kind of dance around the fire. <laughs> I don't know, like that initially, that I was like, what the heck? Like, 
I, I was like, okay, so like, what is the point of it? And nobody could really give me an answer. Uh, the further I looked into it, I actually found that it was uh, St. John's Day. So it was basically like uh, John the Baptist. It was, it was something that was celebrated from him. Now, there were some pagan uh, stuff that was included. Now, I don't exactly know where that got included or exactly how it, it became part of it. But for us, like I felt like, you know what? The way they look at this holiday, it's not like a, a celebration of, of some pagan belief or anything like that. It's a holiday. It's a day to go uh, barbecue. So um, that's where it's something that I think the Holy Spirit has to lead you and guide you in that. But it is important in understanding context. So the least you could do, or, or the least I would say to do, is understand the holiday. What is it? What are you actually celebrating? Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think too, there are different... I mean, you know, for Yannipa, for example, we would go out to the countryside. And of course, the bonfire was like the main event. Where, it was massive too. Yeah, it was huge where people... I mean, even villages would have like one huge like fire like, ball going like logs, on. logs, not like sticks, logs. Like, yeah, like they would take like tree trunks and, and line them up and then start a big fire. Uh, which is which is fun. It's great to look at. But at the same time, there were some other things like in between where, you know, a lot of times um, they just get drunk a lot. And obviously oh, yeah. that wasn't something that we wanted to partake in. So how we celebrated was also a big deal because a lot of times we would um, be around really close friends. So we kind of knew their families and things like that. But a lot of times there's a public events that you can go to. And I think at the same time, you have to be aware of how they also celebrate in Larger like groups, yeah, smaller circle. groups, yeah. So in everything, I mean, it's not rocket science. I think like if you feel comfortable and you want to do it, do it. But at the same time, if you're going to bring your family into it, if you're going to expose your children to something, always make sure that you're kind of like five steps ahead, five steps ahead, just because you don't want to accidentally expose them to something that is not going to be comfortable for you as a parent to explain and I think at the same time, pick and choose and, and don't be afraid to say no to certain people. If you say, you know, I'm just not comfortable if I celebrate it over there or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So overall, uh, embracing the culture of the environment, I think is a good thing, especially if you are there long term as a missionary, because you mm -hmm. begin to understand it from like a completely different perspective as an American. And that's really one of the biggest things you want to do is kind of uh, understand it from the perspective of a local. So uh, moving on, so we got another question, and this is Jackie from California. Um, she says, medicine you trust versus medicine there. You can do that because I think... Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing was that we had our son while living in Eastern Europe. So there wasn't much medicine that I looked into beforehand. I mean, I know, I know that for myself, I need Benadryl just because I had a really bad allergy to severe allergy to peanuts. So I always had Benadryl on hand for myself. Once we had our son, my mother-in-law actually, you know, convinced me to go buy like baby Tylenol, um, you know, or gel, like all those things that I would need within the first year to help in any case where he was sick or wasn't feeling good. And I was really glad that I did. So that first year... But you bought that in the States. Yes. So that first year, uh, my husband actually took a trip back to the States. And those are some of the things I put on the list for him to pick up to bring back to Eastern Europe because they did not have what we would call like a children's Tylenol. They have their own version, which is totally fine. 
but I didn't feel comfortable using some of those things simply because I couldn't read the packaging. Yeah, yeah it was in Estonian. And you can have someone explain it to you, but in my case, I just still wasn't comfortable. I didn't like that I couldn't read the the warning label, the dosage correctly. It really freaked me out, especially as a new parent. So I made sure that when my husband was able to, when he took that trip back to the States, that he brought back all those things that, you know, I, I went online and found that, what would I need for the first year? You know, even like... He bought this nose Frida, not nose Frida, the electric booger sucker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that thing was amazing because when our son had a cold, I mean, that thing worked like a charm. And I know now everybody loves a nose Frida. I actually don't like the nose Frida. I really hate like sucking in. Um, for, you know, for all the guys listening, it's just basically a straw. That you put in your kid's nose. To th- take out the mucus. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. So anyways, I was really grateful that he had bought, um, you know, this like Johnson & Johnson booger sucker thing. But um, in any case, there were times when I didn't have what I wanted. So I did have to ask a close friend of mine about, um, I think it was a rash or like an ointment. Um, maybe like, I think it was like diaper rash, something like that. And honestly, their brand of things worked a lot better than what I was used to. There were certain things that I actually prefer to have over an American brand simply because of the the things that they put inside some of those products. Also, um, one thing that I would say is like at some point, I wasn't always able to go back to the States and just go grab this or grab that. And at some point, I did decide to create a Facebook group for moms that were English speaking that lived in Tallinn. Foreign moms. For foreign moms. Expats as they call them in Europe. Expat moms in Tallinn. I created a small group of like five people just so I can kind of bounce ideas and ask where can I buy the vitamin D drops, which every child has to have when you're living in a country with no sun. And that was totally new for me as an American mom because I'm from California and in California we don't lack any sunshine. So anyways, um, that group went from like five people to like 250 and it's been such a great help when it comes to figuring out what's equivalent to a baby Tylenol or the dosage. Obviously, I would always say ask your doctor, don't ever take anybody's advice as being like fact, Um, but it was helpful to find certain things or just get suggestions that I could ask the doctor, can I use this the next time he has a fever or a rash, anything like that. So I would always prefer and I would always suggest if possible, bring what you can from home and then do good research and, you know, really lean on those local moms that you know or the parents that you know that can help you figure out what the next best thing is. Yeah. And there was also uh, the local um, moms there in the group that spoke, like, especially those that spoke English very well. So a second part of the question that uh, Jackie sent in, actually, she she has three questions here total. Uh, She, she puts school question mark (laughs) so i think it's really just saying you know what about school and so i think for that we would probably have to speak more about germany because in estonia he wasn't in school yet yeah he was still really young so school in germany that was a huge process that was a lot of research a lot of translating because a lot of those websites uh the information is all in german it's very hard to find English translations unless you... I mean, we used Google Translate so much and we really leaned on certain people to help us translate certain things. So in any case, with when he started school, um, 
yeah, I mean, lots of research, ask a lot of questions. And eventually he got into a school that we really, really loved um, that first year when he started what you would what we would call pre-K. And he had a great teacher. It was close to the house. But it's very different because we had considered homeschooling at one point when he was a little bit older. But then um, from some local friends of ours told us that homeschooling was illegal. It wasn't allowed. <laughs> so homeschooling was not an option. Right. And, in, in Germany, and just a little bit of understanding is the... Basically, the German government doesn't allow homeschooling because they don't want any basically nationalistic mindset in like being raised up. So they have a history of, of negative things, especially along the lines of nationalism. So they want children to have the education that's um, a, a basically a more broad or healthier education as far as it goes away from an ide- ideology that's negative. So was, it's yeah. open more. And I was told, too, that it's also for the welfare of the child so that the child is seen, the child is out in the public. Yeah. You can't, you know, there's less likely that you're going to have, um, you know, unfortunately, the abuse of a child happening in a home when the kid has to go out to school. They have to be out and about. So that was explained to me also that they want to make sure that as much as they can, that kids are exposed to other people consistently to avoid any issues like that. Um, a lot of the examples they gave me were like horror stories that happened here in the States where people hid away their children and said, we're homeschooling, don't worry yeah. about it. So I understand that. But at the same time, I didn't like that I didn't have that option as a parent. But in any case, um, it was very stressful because I'm trying to find what school is okay, what district does it matter, what kind of teacher, will they speak English, and what kind of school. And finding out you have to apply. Yeah, you have to apply for every accepted. school. They have to accept you. Some schools are looking specifically for certain children. So some of them put out advertisements. We want a four- to five-year-old male that speaks English. Yeah, they need the right ratio. Yeah, and then too, you know, the whole Montessori, and they even have like this forest kindergarten where you drop off your kid in the forest with the teacher and the other classmates and they pretty much spend all day like out and about and it's great. I think like when you have a family that's really adventurous or you're just constantly outside, it's great. But that was also another option for preschool, you know, and and then just really but like even if it's to, like raining. Yeah, I mean like it's just, like an all weather. Yeah, it's like an all weather school. Yeah. yeah. So it's very different. Uh, quick yeah. question if I to throw you off. What's better, German school or American school? Go. One, two, three. Go. I don't know yet. Pick one. One, two, three, go. I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Pre-K. Pick one. One, two, three, go. can't say. One, two, three, go. I can't say. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. Uh, School overall. So overall, it is stressful to figure it out if you do not know German. If you know German, you're not going to have the same roadblocks that we had trying to figure out where to put our son in school and how to apply and checking, you know, our account to see if anybody's accepted him but and there is also the option of there are private schools that are very expensive that's yeah and that's a if, if you have the resources or finances available i mean i think you, you the want to go to private schools and the connections as well the connections are great i think that's typical for any well for but a lot of private schools. but i'm saying that that option is there and in the private schools i mean if you're english speaking and it's an English-speaking private school. You have no issues. It's oh. like we used to go play basketball with some of the guys from church at a English-speaking private school. And it was like walking into mini America. <laughs> Everyone there spoke English. All the signage was in English. Um, if you needed help, you could ask anybody working there. Even if they were German, they spoke very good English. 
So there is that option, but again, it's a different, it's a different type of setup. You're going to have to pay a lot more. And then we learned that, you know, obviously now that he was in school, we kind of looked into the future, middle school, high school, things like that. And we learned that around the age, I think it was like 12 or 13, mm-hmm. once they leave middle school, the teacher will recommend for them to go to a specific type of high school. And the high school basically defines what type of job you're going to have when you're older. And um, yeah, this is Germany. So this is in Germany. And I don't know if this is like the whole country of Germany or maybe just specific uh, states in Germany. So we were in Hessen. So um, this is explained to us by a British family that was there. She said that by the time their kid is 12 or 13, that the teacher will recommend where they go. And at that point, it kind of sets them on a specific path towards a certain job that they'll have kind of for the rest of their life. Yeah, it's and either blue collar or white collar. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I asked her, like, what if you don't agree? What if your child wants to be a musician, but the teacher's recommending um, type of engineering high school? And she said, you really have to fight against it to get your kid out of the recommendation and into where you want them to be or even where the child wants to be. And she said, it's not... A normal thing that a parent would disagree, but in any case, um, they kind of recommend where they're going to go to high school, which I thought was really interesting. And I might be saying this totally wrong, or this, like I said, is probably not all of Germany, but this was explained to us when I was asking, asking questions about my son, eventually after middle school, high school, how that works. So I thought that was really interesting. I guess it could be a good thing and a bad thing. I don't know. I guess when you're in that situation and it differs. I, I think just for as an American, it just makes you feel like I don't want the government telling me or telling my child what to be. Yeah. So that was weird for us. But that's that's the school system. That's how they do it. And I'm sure there's a lot more to that. Yeah. Yeah. We never got that far. Now, I would say I did like that they were very much into teaching them independence. Yeah. That was, that cool. was awesome because he would get there, uh, put he would have to take his... Uh, shoes that he you know walked to school in and take off those and put on the school slippers mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah house shoe <laughs> and then uh basically you know it was kind of cool because if he if he wanted water it wasn't like someone went and got him water they had a little cup set up uh he had a toothbrush at the school um you know they they had a, the the restrooms were were like the you know little dude size so it was just really cool to see him going and kind of be an independent little kid uh, that was really awesome. Um, okay, so now the third part of Jackie's question, what were the biggest stressors? So what caused the most stress uh, as parents? You can go ahead and answer first. For me, the most stressful thing was simply just not knowing the language. Because obviously going to the market, going to the park, things like that, you do need to be able to communicate with anybody that you're going to be interacting with. And Because I couldn't do that, it was difficult for me to get the things that I needed or figure out which was baking powder versus baking soda. And you rely on people a lot. And that's that's stressful when you can't really communicate those things. And as a parent, you can't do that for your child. You can't explain to someone what your child wants because the both of you can't communicate in German. So in in all the different ways that it's stressful to be in a foreign country, when you don't know the language, that, I think, for me, that topped everything. Yeah, and I think that that is a big lesson to learn that if you're moving into a country, do your best uh, ahead of time to learn the language. 
it is it is so much easier. Um, I think as far as me as far as I go, for a big stress as a parent, um, I I think. I don't think I was too stressed out as a parent. There were other things, but nothing specifically with, you know, our son um, and and school. I think overall, it I was think, pretty easy for me. I think we were both kind of like, at times, it could be stressful dealing with school things. Yeah, school, I think that would be that was the biggest challenge. And it was mainly just because of the communication. Yeah, we, didn't, we couldn't really speak to his teacher. And, and I think for everybody to understand... We were working in an international community, so we spoke English 90%, 95% of the time that we were there. Everything was in English. So, you know, even when I uh, preached, it was in English. Uh, when we had meetings, all English. So, you know, school, yeah, obviously, because the majority of the stuff is in German. So, yeah, I think the biggest stress as a parent was was definitely surrounding the, the schooling. Yeah, because you're trying that. to plan something for your kid and you don't understand how to do that. And your kids, you know, you know, our son, he didn't speak German in the very beginning. So he also kind of was like relying on us to take care of certain things. And when you can, it's just, it's hard and it kind of tests your patience in that area. But I will say that, you know, by the end of our time there in Germany, our son spoke German really well and he was very confident in that and we we're very proud of him that he was able to to do that as, as stressful as it was for all of us at times he he really did a great job and just learning and absorbing that language yeah he did um okay so moving into a little bit different different area now we answered two questions and and we appreciate those questions man uh appreciate you guys listening and uh, hopefully, like I said, this helps you to understand it in the context of if you're planning to move into an international ministry or go into some sort of missions full time, uh, this hopefully helps you. Um, now, the question that I put out was uh, on the title of this, are missionary kids part of a third culture? So it kind of comes from, there's a book called Third Culture Kid, and I forgot the author's name. Uh, the the basic premise is that in understanding a missionary kid, this is different than a pastor's kid. Now, <laughs> Vanessa, um, when she hears about pastor's kid issues, she feels like, go ahead and express that. What do you feel? What do you feel about that? <laughs> no, because you make me sound bad. Um, I'm not a pastor's kid, or I wasn't growing up, so. <laughs> Um, sometimes when Gobble would explain like the, I don't know, you know, the, the things that pastors kids go through in my head, I'm like, Oh, poor you. What a big deal. Or it's not a big deal. You know, pastors kids got everything. Meanwhile, the rest of us are kind of like fending for ourselves, which is not the case, um, in every church, but we just kind of have like a, a totally different point of view as far as pastor's kids. So because I wasn't a pastor's kid, I, I guess I don't understand what it's like. And he also doesn't understand the way pastor's kids sometimes do have uh, privileges that the rest of us don't have. <laughs> okay. So we'll leave that at that. That'll yeah. be a that'll be a different snacking podcast. Snacking in the break room so, or snacking in the sound room. Um <laughs> But, but basically, the, the premise for this is our missionary kids part of a third culture. So you establish that you have your, your home culture. You, you have like, um, you know, what, what you're familiar with, this and that. And then you have 
you go to the new country and, and then you have to learn that culture. So, you know, let's take the USA and let's take um, uh, Germany. Okay, so you got American culture and German culture, which honestly I could say are, are a little similar. There's not, there, there's definitely differences, but there are some things that you can find that are very, very similar. Um, but you have American culture and German culture, and the third culture would be what the kid grows up in. So at home, you have American parents living in a German culture. So the kid is a third culture because it's neither he's neither or she's neither American or German. She's not German enough to be German or he's not German enough to be German and he's not American enough to be American or she's not American enough to be American. So that's where you get our missionary kids part of a third culture. And I would simply answer that with yes. And anybody that goes into missions and they have somebody uh, that's not a teenager because I feel like a teenager about 16 years old, they're kind of already established like in the way they're thinking, especially if it's like a more of a Western way of thinking or, or, any, or anything like that in particular. But if you have a child that grows up in a new culture, they're learning what, you know, the way to think. They're learning the, the cultural way of accepting things, of presenting things, of talking about things, of, um, you know, even debating or not debating on certain issues. And that third culture actually begins to become a little bit more definitive as they grow older. And the hard part is this, the kid that is, that is grown up in that doesn't really fit or feel at home in either culture. That's the challenge, I think, as a parent in raising kids abroad. You have to understand that and you have to know that, like, I have to help them understand that they belong in our family, period. They have a place, period. The place that they feel uncomfortable or the place they feel like they don't fit in, that's something that is just not true. But you have to help them to understand that. Now, I would say this, our son was so young that he didn't deal with that. And even now, I think he's, he's pretty much, most of his German, he's, he's not, it's not sticking with him. We do speak, uh, or we do go over numbers, or we, we count to 10 in Spanish, English, German, and Estonian. And the idea is if we can keep numbers and have them have an understanding of numbers, some of the pronunciation of words will come a little bit easier in the long run. He's still, we still joke around. It will like if, if he's, I don't know, if he wants candy or something, I'll say like nine. And he's like, duh, which means it's like a, almost like a slang for like, yes. <laughs> so we go back and forth and some of that stuff. But is he a third culture kid? I wouldn't define him as that. I don't know about how you would look at that. No, I, I think even like when we talk about raising kids abroad, um, we didn't do it very long. Right. Um, but I know that, you know, with our son, we experienced a lot of changes with him. Um, we moved uh, to do di- two different countries with him being under five, and we traveled a lot with him. So traveling is another big thing when it comes to raising kids. Um, you have to learn how to travel with kids and teach your kids how to travel well also. And then, of course, you know, there's time differences and all that fun stuff. 
But in the end, you know, our son, he was still really young when we left. He was, I think, about five years old. Um, so when we talk about raising kids abroad, um, you know, we're kind of covering just one area, one season of having a child living yeah. with him abroad. Um, obviously, there are couples that are older that have done this a lot longer, that have teenagers, that have multiple kids they've done this with. And I know so many great families that it'd be great to also hear from. But, you know, for us in this specific podcast, it's just our personal experience. But, yeah, I don't think he would be a, a third culture kid. I think he has picked one side and he's sticking with it. Raising kids abroad, one of the things that we can speak into is uh, we, you know, obviously Vanessa got pregnant. <laughs> that was something that, you know, it was our first child. So we experienced all that pregnancy and everything uh, in the in a context of being away from all of our friends and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, and I think even, yeah, no one... None of your family ever saw you pregnant with Isai. No. Yeah, no one saw you. The only way they saw you was through pictures and online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, you know, obviously the, the birth uh, at the hospital in Tallinn, uh, the experience of all of that stuff was pretty interesting. Um, I think for Americans, like, I think one of the coolest things was that the midwife that that would be like $5,000 here was only like 300 euros, I think. Which is like 350 bucks or something. Yeah, it was like maybe $400. And- but even, you know, I remember besides the pregnancy thing, once I had my son, uh, I had a, the midwife say to me that she didn't use baby wipes with her child to change a diaper until they were like one years old. And I remember thinking, well... What did you use to clean their poop? I mean, like, if you're not using a baby wipe, don't tell me you're using your hand. And they introduced to me the sink method, where you rinse your baby's bottom in the sink, pat it dry, and put the diaper back on. Or, but under know. one years old. Uh, yes, under one year old. Obviously, yeah. yeah under one. And honestly, though, or even like, like don't six hate months. on the method, man. I, I actually really, I actually really loved that method. I. <laughs> I didn't because it was hard for me to put him on my arm where I felt comfortable to put him under the water. I don't know. I think uh, I left a lot of that up to Gawo to do because his arm was obviously bigger than mine. But yeah, so what they what she said was, you know, put the baby like their belly on your forearm and just, you know, kind of hold their bottom half in your hand and you know, put the warm water on in the sink or the kitchen, whatever sink you're going to use and just rinse their bottom, you know. I mean, obviously we were talking about kids. So if you're a parent and your child's being breastfed, typically their their um, their stool is sometimes a little bit looser. It's not as thick. Or I think in general, when your baby's under like a year old or before they have solids, their poo's pretty much all the same. So rinsing it away, I wasn't rinsing away, you know, chunks of anything. So <laughs> <laughs> we um, we stuck with that method. When we were in Estonia, when we came to visit the States with our son, he was like four, two months, two to three months, uh, two to three months. Uh, we definitely were using wipes. We were, don't worry, everybody that we visited with our son, we did not rinse his butt under your sink. Um, we had wipes all the time. But when we went back home to Estonia, we used the sink again because it was a lot more 
less harsh. It was way more gentle than wiping your kid's bottom. I don't think he ever got a diaper rash. Um, so that was something we actually really liked to do. And then also taking naps outside when it's like negative 10 degrees outside. It was, I mean, everybody negative does 10, it. Negative uh, 10 Celsius though. Negative 10 Celsius. Everybody yeah, does Fahrenheit. it. Most people do it. They You'll see strollers outside, you know, these like big bassinet prams. And the babies are in there sleeping and they're typically near a window so that the parent can well, hear them. And they, and they leave them outside at restaurants and stores. Yeah, like you, if your baby's asleep and you're going to go, you know, have lunch, just leave the baby outside. Go check on them periodically and then enjoy your lunch. And I think... And that's normal. In Estonia. Absolutely. And oh, it yeah. totally blew our mind because we're yeah. like, oh my gosh, call CPS. Someone left their baby out here. I, it's freezing. I remember the first time I saw it. It was at... Um, it was a thrift store. Yeah, the thrift store. It was called like... was it American? USA Today. USA Today. It was mm-hmm. the name of the thrift store. And basically, they got all the uh, army and uh, military stuff and resold it. And it was cool. But we were going into that store... And there was a, a stroller outside, and it was kind of in front of the door. And I was like, oh, man, like I've got to move this thing. Imagine there's a baby in there. And I joked to Vanessa, and as soon as we walked up, there was a baby sleeping in there. Maybe like six like, months or something. What the heck? Yeah. I was like, did they? Like, I'm in my head. It's like the craziest thoughts like of like somebody left Somebody them. left the baby. They like abandoned the baby. We have to call the police. Like, what do we do? But wait, how do you call the police? It's not 911. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, just so you know, it's 112. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but going inside and then just, you know, it was, it's normal. And it's recommended. I mean, for the sake of the mom getting out, getting fresh air up until negative 10 Celsius, and then the baby to get fresh air. And of course, if the sun is shining, get them out there because they need the vitamin D. But that was, we tried it one time. We went walking. It was like, probably three in the afternoon, but it was like pitch black outside because the winters there are just mostly dark. And of course there's snow everywhere, which is really great. But I think we walked near like a little outdoor shopping kind of place. And, um, I mean the whole front part of the shop was glass, so we can obviously see outside. So we left our son, he was asleep. We left him in his big old pram outside in the snow. He obviously had like a winter suit on and all that. And we were inside the store alone, you know, without him for like five minutes. And then we were like ran back outside because it, I mean, it was too weird. It is so weird. It just feels like someone's going to snatch this baby, but which it, that wasn't normal. That no, it was I our mean, fear. yeah, as an American, I think people kidnapping kids is way more. It's I mean, such a higher probability than it is in the area we were living if anything, they kind of laughed at when I mentioned, like, what if someone takes my baby? They were like, no one does that. And I don't know what it's like now. But at the time, it really was not a common thing. But I would say this too. Estonia and Germany, Tallinn and Frankfurt were two very different cities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. On top of that, I am super, like... I would not leave our baby outside in Germany. Oh, in no, Frankfurt. no, not at all. But I would say that I thought... Now, now living, you know, back in the States... I kind of actually look at Estonia and think like, and especially in Tallinn, and think that's a great city for a family because the culture is very receptive and warm to kids. Yes. Like the restaurants is one thing I really love. You can go to a, like, I don't know, I'm going to say Olive Garden because it just popped in my head. Imagine (laughs) going to Olive Garden, okay? 
And in different sections of the restaurants, like in the corners, there's like a play kitchen, bean bags, you know, a little table with coloring books. And that's where you send your kids to play. But you're eating, you know, just and a few tables. Them. Yeah, and you're eating just a few tables away. I think here in the U.S. we have, you know, Chuck E. Cheese and John's Incredible Pizza where the whole place is like a playground. But it's all closed now. Of course, well, obviously. But the, the other thing would be this, that it was so different because... In Estonia, this was, like I said, it was warmly welcomed and re- like receptive to families and kids. In Germany, I kid you not, I'll try to find the article and post it at some point. A restaurant, they banned children. <laughs> a restaurant banned children from coming in and eating. And then on top of that, the sentiment overall was like, well, look, if I'm trying to have a, a nice evening out with my you know, fiance or my girlfriend or my wife. I don't want kids running around. And so they banned children. And so Estonia, as far as I know, they didn't have any restaurants that banned children. And like I said, it's a great place for a family. And I think the experience of having our son being born in Tallinn and, and, you know, us being able to be like a family of three, uh, and still maintain like a social life, like going out and being part of the city, Mm -hmm. like, Really being part of the city. Yeah, and also, you know, when it came to, like, indoor playgrounds, I know we also have that, which is great, but Estonia does it on a different level. I think the ones that I visited, they were smaller, and they were a little bit more modern. But I would say that's also because of the winters. Yeah, I mean, when you have winters that last as long as they do, as cold as they are, you know, kids, they got to get out. So they did indoor playgrounds very, very well. I mean, I remember we went to one, it was called Little City, and it literally is a little city. You walk in and it's like a treehouse city. And the amazing thing is that the kids, you know, they're, they're able to run around and it's safe and it's not overcrowded. I mean, they had little like toy car um, Audis and Mercedes that the kids can drive around the track around the whole little city. So I really loved um, the time that we spent with our son in in Tallinn. It yeah. was it was very easy to get around with him. You know, public transportation. Some of the some of the trams do have spaces for strollers, just like in Frankfurt. You know, they have uh, spaces for strollers where typically you would put a bike. But um, yeah, I think living in, you know, having our son there in just a foreign country in general, there's so many different ways that you can do it. And I would suggest if you're looking into it, if you're concerned or you're scared, there's really no reason, unless you're going to a third world country, I don't know, I have no idea what that would be like. But if you're not, I think your fears can be settled with research and just asking questions. Yeah, and then... I think too, like the the idea of uh, looking at Estonia and Germany as two obviously different countries. Uh, there was pros and cons. Like even some of the trans- transportation, like the public transportation in Tallinn, there was these old trams, and you did not want to get an old tram if you were alone with a stroller. Well, the same in Frankfurt. Remember the old high yeah yeah it was the same in Frankfurt. Only steps, but those were rare. High. Well, not two or, but it was like one out of like five. They had, yeah, mostly newer trams. So in Tallinn, it was like, man, because you had to carry it up by yourself. I remember helping, um, you know, moms in Tallinn because I, because I would, you know, obviously we had our son. And <laughs> I just remember thinking like, 
man, like, this is crazy. Like, I remember not, I remember taking the route. Like, if I were going to walk with Isai, I would plan to not take public transportation for that reason. I did not want to get stuck on a tram alone trying to get on or trying to get off because, no offense, but a lot of times the men don't help you. And I don't know what it's like now, but I remember while I was there, I very rarely had a male come help me with my stroller, like opening the door, things like that. Even women, you know, other women with kids, like they won't wait for you to go inside. They'll go in and the door will shut right in your face. Even if you have a stroller, if you're pregnant, things like that. So as much as it was kid friendly, I think sometimes the mannerisms that I expected as an American... Yeah, it was not the same, which is fine. I, I understood it right away, and I was like, okay, I'm opening my own doors, not a problem. But but in Germany, it was a little bit more like they they paid attention to you. Yes. If they're going to ignore you, you were going to know it. I think, um, I mean, almost to a point where I remember we had I had my son in a stroller. He was probably three, which obviously, yes, he can walk at three. But we were going, I think, like an hour outside the city, and then we were going to walk, or I was going to walk. I remember, I was by myself, I didn't have my husband with me, and I remember thinking, this is going to be a long journey, I don't want to carry all his snacks in my purse, I want to just have my hands free, just push the stroller, if he gets tired, he can sleep in there, take a nap in there, I'm taking the stroller. And I remember I had one man first tell me in German something I didn't understand, so I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak German. And he said something along the lines of, um, does your son's legs not work? And <laughs> I remember thinking, like, is he trying to be funny? Because he's kind of being offensive. And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, he needs to walk so his legs can get strong. I said, oh, he can walk. And I already I was like, well, it's none of his business. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and, and then, you know, he's kind of loud. I don't know if he was drunk or not, but he was loud. And he just kept saying things like, you know, you should, you should get him out and, and he can walk. And, and I was getting really annoyed because first of all, I thought this is just, I didn't ask him for his opinion. Second of all, my son can understand the conversation. So my son's kind of like, what, why is that guy saying I have to get out of the stroller? Mom, why do I have to get out? And I'm like, just, you know, ignore him. And then we get on the tram and the guy gets in, you know, obviously he's going the same direction. So he gets on too and he's trying to have this conversation with me. And at the end of the ride, before he got off, he's like, you're a good mom. I just think you need to let him walk more. And I remember thinking like, that's none of your business. And in Estonia, I felt the complete opposite. Like nobody would tell me their opinion. Nobody would say, you know, out of nowhere, their opinion you know, with my personal decisions, like people did not do that. They, I think if it was anything, considered even rude if people stopped and even touched your baby. Well, yeah, like it was just your, you know, Estonians are very private. Um, they weren't really going out of their way if they didn't have to. And that was fine. That's their culture. You know, I think when we came in, we were just really loud. And um, so, yeah, and in Germany, it almost felt like if you broke the rule on the tram, I will come up to you and I will tell you that you are not supposed to be sitting there or you need to give up your seat or you need to get out and let people get back in. Um, yeah, so I feel like Germans are way more outspoken and Estonians were not. So, you know, having a kid there, you know, totally two different experiences. Yeah, and I think too, like... In, in a lot of the basis for, and we'll, we're, we're kind of closing up this podcast, and um, we, got, we got a lot more to share, specifically on marriage and ministry. But I think in this podcast, like, 
to kind of close it up, what we're trying to trying to like I said, give you the the experience and insight that we had, which is not uh, you know comp, like exhaustive. Like obviously, there's so many things that you will go through or that other people will tell you that happened to them. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, different stories, some amazing, awesome things, and some really like whoa, like concerning things. But um, going into the the mission setting. Uh, understand this, your home becomes the base. Your home becomes a place that it is safe. Uh, you can have conversations, you can ask, your, your kids feel safe, and you have to provide that for them. Mm-hmm. If you're going into missions and you're, you're like, man, um, you know, I, I hope, you know, or you're staying in a hotel and constantly moving and, and not providing like, you know, some stability, that creates a lot of insecurity. And, and if you're going to be missional and be effective, you have to make sure your family is in order. You have to make sure your family feels secure and safe. And like, you know that, hey, man, if it's going to snow, we're going to have heat. You know, we're going to have uh, the bills taken care of so that, the, you know, things don't get shut off. You have to make that happen because your family, uh, in a sense, can become a victim of uh I don't want to say like improper planning, but become a victim of just a gung-ho mindset. And what you as parents, what you're trying to do in raising your children in the international setting or raising kids abroad, what you're trying to do is create um, consistency and safety for your home in a place that allows them to develop in maturity and develop in uh, like general, like a good, healthy worldview based in the Christian context and you provide that more than anything in the home than they will ever gather anywhere else. So in your home, what goes on at your home is most important. What goes on at the dinner table, what goes on, you know, when you guys are sitting in the living room together talking, you know, if you're not helping, encouraging, saying to your kids, hey, you know what, I I know that it's maybe challenging for you right now, but but this, we'll, we'll do this, you know, we'll, we'll try to make this happen for you. We'll, we'll help you to overcome these obstacles and these challenges. You provide that for them. And I guarantee you this, you will have, you know, healthy children, healthy kids that just, number one, know the Lord, uh, love and respect their family and love and respect other people. And, you know, that's a, that's a good, healthy family. And I do want to encourage you in the context of what you do as far as raising children in another country, in an international setting, make sure your home is in order. Make sure that they have a home and a safe place to be. I think whether you're considering going into missions with your kids or if you're just um, newlyweds or you've been married for a while, you don't have kids yet and you're considering what happens if we get pregnant out there. I think in every area, I have no regrets about having, you know, our, our son there raising him for a little bit. Even with our daughter, I got pregnant when we were in Germany. And so half of my pregnancy was spent out there. And in every season, God will equip you as a parent to meet the needs of your kids. And at the same time, obviously, God loves those kids more than you do, more than you know. And I saw firsthand, you know, God God's hand over our son in so many different ways, ways that, you know, I I couldn't have done. And I think the important thing is also to remember that your kids are capable of 
of things that, you know, you're probably afraid to do. So don't underestimate your child's ability to adapt and to learn and to grow. And it's scary very much so. And it's lonely a lot of the time. So yeah, having your home in order and consistent and stable is vital to having a healthy family life. And, you know, also being on the same page with your spouse about what traditions you'll keep, you know, fighting for Thanksgiving when you're in a country that doesn't have it or whatever the case may be, it's important that you're in communication with each other about how you're raising your kid, how you're disciplining them in another country. For example, we could not spank our son in Europe, whereas in the U.S. it's perfectly normal, especially if you're Hispanic, you know, give them a little spank to help get them back in order. You can't do that in Europe. So working together, my husband and I were like, we need to be on the same page to keep our son in line um, without you know breaking the law. Uh, so there's so many different there's so many different scenarios, but uh, bottom line is that you know God will equip you, God will equip your children, and He'll meet all the needs as long as you keep Him first and that you pray together as a family. You um, continue to grow in your own walk by yourself and eventually all those things they fall into place and it's a great experience I loved being able to do that I loved the experiences that we had I loved being able to help with the church that was there and I wouldn't I wouldn't take anything back I wouldn't redo anything yeah so thank you guys for listening and we'll be back next week specifically talking about marriage and ministry in the international setting so we will give some great stories of our marriage <laughs> And um, just basically how we went through some, you know, whatever issues or went through challenges and, and overcame obstacles and uh, marriage and ministry and how those things play and, and uh, interconnect and intertwine with each other in such a huge way. But thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you would like to just connect with us online, uh, we'll post our Instagrams in the description. We are private, but go ahead and uh, add us. We'll connect. Uh, if you would like to sign up for the church email stuff nwlachurch.com and I'm posting sermons there every Sunday and thank you guys for listening we'll be back next week bye